Scripture reading before today, this morning's lesson comes from the book of Mark, first chapter, verses 35 through 39. Mark chapter 1, verse 35 through 39. The Bible says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next town, so that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. It's good to see all of you this morning. I know we've got a lot of visitors with us. We're especially thankful that you've come to worship God with us this morning. I know a lot are traveling for the holidays. We want to keep our members and their families in our prayers as they travel. Thank you so much for coming and being a part of our assembly this morning. I was asked to give a public service announcement on behalf of one of our sweet ladies that works in a restaurant nearby. She asked that If you're out this week or you're shopping even today, I know some people are last minute shopping for gifts for their family, be kind and be civil to the people that are working in restaurants and in stores because people get frustrated and they get antsy and all kinds of emotions are going on. But a lot of the people that bear the brunt of of some of some of our anger are people that are serving us and don't be like that. Be a Christian, be the kind of person that God would look at and say, this is my child, this is my servant, this is my disciple. In every walk of life, we ought to be a light to those around us. Please do that as you continue through the holidays. Next Sunday night, next Sunday night, we've not said much about this up to this point. Lots been going on over the last month or so. Next Sunday night is New Year's Eve, and what we're going to do as a congregation in this room, in the auditorium, Wednesday night we're going to be in the OFC, we're going to sing over there. Sunday night we're going to be in the auditorium, and we're going to sing here for New Year's Eve. We're going to um, observe our worship service as normal and uh, and have a singing as a part of that. We've... uh, advertise this to other area congregations. A lot, of, a lot of places aren't having or are having a reduced Sunday evening worship, uh, uh, things like that next week. And so we've invited others to come and to be a part of this as well. And if you know of people that are in that, in that category, feel free to invite them. But let's sing together, sing praises to God, New Year's Eve. And then afterward, we're asking folks to bring finger foods. Nothing really fancy, just things that you can eat with your fingers. And we're going to spend some time over in the OFC after services next Sunday night, uh, spending time with each other, fellowshipping with one another, bring some board games if you like, bring uh, things that you like to do in, in, in company of others, and, and let's spend some time together. We're not saying that you have to stay till midnight. I, I don't think I'm going to stay till midnight, but if you want to, that's great, and, and bring in the new year, that's wonderful, but you know, maybe not all of us are in that boat or in that category, but please do plan to stay afterwards and visit with us and share in fellowship with us. That's next Sunday night, a week from now, and be looking forward to that and be asking and inviting others as well. This morning, I just want us to spend some time together asking the question, what is Jesus really like? And what's interesting about that question is that all of you have an answer. I mean, right now, all of us have some kind of answer. If we were to ask, what do you think Jesus is really like? What do you think he's all about? What do you think of Jesus and what can you tell me about him? 
all of us have some preconceived ideas. They may or may not be true, but they're, they're there in our heads and in our hearts. And everybody has some kind of opinion about Jesus, even if it's just very vague. Well, I've heard of him. I don't know anything about him, but I've heard of him. Everybody's got some kind of opinion. And the question that we're asking is simply this, what was Jesus really like? Not what you hear people talking about, but what does the Bible say about him? And we believe this, that the Bible is the accurate record of the life of Christ. It tells us about his coming and it tells us about his ministry and it tells us about his death on the cross for us. And everything the Bible says about Jesus is true, it's accurate, it's right. Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Mark. There are 16 chapters in the book of Mark. The book of Mark, it's the second book in your New Testament. And Mark among the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Mark is unique because Mark tells us more than any other what Jesus did. It tells us about his actions. It tells us about his priorities. It tells us about what he believed is important. And in answering the question this morning, what is Jesus really like? I'm just going to take one verse from each chapter of the book of Mark. We're going to go one through eight this morning and then come back tonight. We're going to worship God again together tonight. And tonight we're going to look at chapters nine through 16. So 16 chapters in Mark, 16 verses from the book of Mark, all of them showing us a different facet, a different, a different part of what we can know about our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the most important person who has ever lived or ever will live. He is somebody who wants to have a relationship with you. And he is somebody that if we look at what he's really like, he is somebody that if we'll let these words sink down into our hearts, it will change us. It will change our lives. We really believe that as a people of God, that if we listen to and watch and observe Jesus, that he makes a difference in people. And that's why lessons like this are so critical for everybody to hear. What is Jesus really like? He wants to change you and he wants to make you more like him. But there are some ways in which none of us will ever be quite like him. Let's look at what Jesus is like. If you've got your Bibles open to Mark chapter one, look at verse 35. Mark chapter one, verse 35. The first principle I'd like for us to observe this morning about Jesus is that he is a man of prayer. He's a man of prayer. Have you thought of him that way? Someone who spent time talking to his heavenly father, someone who spent time praying to God. Look at Mark chapter one, verse 35. Jesus had been up the previous night healing and causing the blind to see and teaching the people. He'd been up late. And yet the Bible tells us in Mark 1:35, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark. It tells you how early was it, Mark? It was so early that the sun had not yet come up. That's how early Jesus got up that day. And the scripture says he departed, Jesus did, went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. What do you learn about Jesus just from that one verse? He made prayer a priority in his life, so much so that he would wake up before dawn to spend time privately in prayer. I'm fascinated by a lot regarding that verse. I'm fascinated by the fact that we will never be as prayerful as Jesus was. As much as we might give ourselves to prayer, we are least like Jesus probably in our prayer lives. When was the last time you arose early in the morning to spend time just praying before your heavenly father? 
But not only that, I'm fascinated by the fact that he didn't wake up the apostles, aren't you? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those guys, Jesus didn't spend time waking them up and saying, hey, come on, it's prayer time. Get everybody get up. I want to set an example for it. He didn't do that. Jesus privately by himself got up and went off and spent time with his heavenly father in prayer. Brothers and sisters and friends, the Lord Jesus teaches us by his prayer life that prayer ought to be a critical and a central part of our lives and our relationships with God. Pray without ceasing. First Thessalonians 5 verse 17, be anxious in nothing but pray about everything. Philippians 4, 6, and the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4 verse 7. God wants us to be people of prayer and Jesus emulates that. Jesus is our example in that. We are to emulate him. He arise early in the morning. He arose and he went and prayed. What did Jesus find in prayer? As you look on in the passage in Mark chapter 1, verses 36 through 39, the scripture says the apostles woke up and they looked around and Jesus wasn't there. And the apostles decided they were going to go search for him. And when they found him, they said, everybody's looking for you. And Jesus said, let us go to the other cities and towns for I have to preach to them also. It's for this purpose I've come forth. You know what Jesus found in prayer? Jesus found peace in his heart, the peace that passes understanding. Jesus found purpose, a renewed sense of who he is and what he's here for and what it means to do God's will. And Jesus found submission to God's will in the garden of prayer. Nobody has ever prayed like Jesus. And when we ask the question, what is Jesus really like? He is, brothers and sisters and friends, he is a man of prayer. He prayed at the beginning of his ministry. He prayed from the cross and he prayed every day in between. He spent time submitting to his heavenly father's will. Not my will, but yours be done, O God. Turn to Mark chapter two and let's ask the question, what is Jesus really like this morning? What is he all about? In Mark chapter two, look at verse 17. The scripture teaches us that he is a man of logic. You say, that's strange. Why do you say that, John, that he's a man of logic? He's a man of logic because everything he did had a good reason. It all made sense. There was a logical reason why he did everything that he did. That's our Lord. He wasn't just, have you ever seen somebody that you you watch them and you observe them for a while and you just say, you know what they're doing? I don't think they've thought through that. I don't think they really have a good sense of why they're making this decision or why they're following this course of action. You ever know somebody like that? Maybe you're somebody like that. Jesus was not like that. Everything he did makes sense. The Bible says that Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors and there were some people that were religious that criticized him. They said, why? Why does your teacher eat with sinners and tax collectors? Why would he spend time with those wicked people? And here's Jesus' response in Mark 2 verse 17. Those who are well have no need of a physician. Only those who are sick do. I did not come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners. Those are the words of Jesus. He is logical. He spent time with people that were outcast and people that knew that there was something wrong and something amiss in their lives. They knew that their relationship with God was not what it should be. Jesus went to those people and spent time with those people. And somebody came and said, well, why would Jesus spend time with those people? And his logical response is, I'm spending time with people that think they need a doctor. 
I'm spending time with people that know that in their lives there's something broken and something wrong and they need to know God. I want to go to them because I'm the great physician and I can heal their soul's diseases. That's why I'm going to them. Now notice as well as you think about Jesus being the man of logic who Jesus did not gravitate toward. He did not gravitate toward those who were self-righteous and those who thought that there was nothing wrong in their lives and those who thought that they didn't need a savior. I didn't come to call the righteous. If you think you've got your act together, if you think that there's nothing wrong with your life, if you think that you and God are on good terms, Jesus says, I can't help you. There's nothing I can do for you. If you think that everything's okay between you and God and there's nothing that needs to be fixed and nothing that you need to change, if that's how you think, then I'm not able to help you. I, get, I didn't come to call righteous people. I came to call sinners to repentance. And the irony of all that is every single one of us needs Jesus. Every single person who's ever lived on this planet needs a savior. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3, verse 23. Jesus came to save people from their sins, John chapter 1, verse 29. Jesus came to call sinners. Here's a question to think about. If Jesus were on earth today in his earthly ministry, would he want to have dinner with me? Would he want to have dinner with you? You think you've got your act together, you think that everything's okay in your life and you don't need any savior. Would Jesus want to spend time? Jesus went to those who knew they needed God. He's a man of logic. It made sense, it's rational, but he wants everybody to know God. He loves everybody so much that he died for all of us. Romans 5 verse eight. Third, look at, Romans, look at Mark chapter three. Mark chapter three in your Bibles, what is Jesus really like? He's a man of prayer, he's a man of logic. Jesus is a man of impartiality. You know, when you think about what Jesus is really like, we've got a lot of people in the world that are worried about where do I fit in and who am I a part of and what, what group do I belong to? And we can identify ourselves in a lot of different ways with a lot of different groups based on a lot of different characteristics that are happening in our lives, actions that we have, characteristics of our bodies. We can look at different groups and we say, this is where I fit in and this is to whom I belong. Jesus, when he looks at people, Jesus is impartial. Even when it comes to his physical family, he's impartial. Mark chapter three and verse 35. He's teaching, he's working with people. They're listening to him teach God's word and his mother and his brothers, they come and they, they try to fetch Jesus. They try to get him to come home. We've got things for you to do at home, it seems to be. That seems to be what they're saying to him. And the scripture says that when somebody sent one of his family members, sent a messenger into the house where Jesus was teaching and they said, he's looking for you, your family's outside, your mother and your brothers. Jesus in verse 34 of Mark chapter three looks around at the people that he's teaching and he says, here are my mother and my brothers. And then verse 35, whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. What does he mean by that? Jesus redefines what it means to be family. Are you listening? Jesus redefines what it means to be family. Family is not just about who my parents are and my grandparents and my aunts and uncles and my cousins. Family is about who does the will of God. And whenever there's somebody that is doing the will of God, Jesus in him, we are made family. 
He is a man of impartiality and anybody can be a part of this great family. Anybody can be a part of the kingdom that belongs to Jesus Christ, the church that belongs to him. Anybody can. Jesus redefines what it means to be family. And he wants you to be a part of his family. He wants more than anything for you to submit to him and to listen to his will and listen to his counsel and obey it in your life. He's a man of impartiality. Even his own physical mother and brothers, when they said, Jesus, there's some priorities that you're not paying attention to, Jesus said, I'm going to be with the people who are doing the will of God. They take a higher priority in my life and in my attitudes, even than my physical family does. He redefines it for us. What's Jesus really like? Have you thought about Jesus this way as you look through the pages of Scripture? Have you thought about who he is and what he came to do? Look at Mark chapter 4. As you think about this question, what is Jesus really like? He is a man of power. There was an incident at the end of Mark chapter 4 where the disciples were made to get into a boat and Jesus went to the back of the boat and fell asleep on a pillow. It is the only time in Scripture where we read about Jesus being asleep. He's on the water. He's exhausted presumably from teaching and working with people all day and he's asleep on a pillow and a great windstorm arises, so much so that these experienced fishermen from the Sea of Galilee, they lived their lives there. They spent every day out there fishing for, you know, fishing for normal fish and they knew what weather was like, but these experienced fishermen are terrified thinking that they're going to die. And so they go back to the back of the boat and they wake up Jesus asleep on his pillow and they say, Master, don't you care that we are perishing? Jesus arises, looks around at the situation and simply says, peace, be still. And immediately the wind and the waves ceased. And the disciples looked at each other in verse 41 of Mark chapter 4 and they were filled with great fear and they said, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is Jesus? He can command the winds and the sea. He has all power in heaven and on earth. Jesus is a man of power. And you know, when you stop and think about what's happening in your life and the lives of the people that you love, and you look at life and reality and the challenges that face all of us, when you look at those things, isn't it comforting and wonderful to know that there's somebody who is a man of power who wants to help us in those situations? Isn't that wonderful to be able to know that I don't have to face any storm alone, that the one who said, peace be still to the wind and the waves, still says, I want to be a calming presence and a peace in your life. I have power if you'll just come to me that same Jesus, he wants to bless your life. He wants to help you. And I'm amazed by the reaction of the apostles here. The Bible doesn't say they were overjoyed, does it? Verse 41, it doesn't say they were really happy, even though they were, that the wind was gone. But no, they were filled with great fear because they're in the presence of somebody who can talk to the weather and the weather listens and obeys. Who is Jesus? What's he really like? Look at Mark chapter five. You wanna know who Jesus is? He's your dearest friend. We have songs in our songbook about this. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one, no, not one. 
In Mark chapter 5, the first part of that chapter, there is a man who has a legion of demons inside of him and nobody knew what to do with that guy. You have people in your life that nobody knows what to do with? For his own safety, they tried to bind him with chains, this man, but the demons were so powerful, he was able to break those chains, the Bible tells us. And so they just thrust this man out of their village. There was no, no quarter for him found because nobody knew what to do with him. What do you do with a man who's got a legion of demons inside of him? And so the Bible says, this man was miserable. He was out there among the tombs and he was cutting himself with rocks and crying out continually. He was in a desperate state and Jesus walked into his life and Jesus spoke to those demons and those demons fled into a herd of swine, ran off the cliff and into the sea. And Jesus spoke to that demoniac. He wanted to, he wanted to come with Jesus. He said, I want, to stay, I want to stay with you. And the Bible says in Mark 5 verse 19, Jesus did not permit him to do so. Instead, Jesus said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. What do you think it was like for the demoniac to go back into the village after having been cast out? What do you think it was like for him to go back to his family for maybe the first time in years? And they all said, what happened to you? Things are different now. And Jesus said, I want you to tell them about your dearest friend. I want you to tell them about how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. I want you to go and proclaim that message to your family and your friends and the people in the village where you live. Who is Jesus to you? Brothers and sisters and friends, you don't have a friend anywhere in your life or your experience that has done more for you than Jesus because he died so that the penalty of your sin could be removed. There's nobody else that can do that for you. He's our dearest friend. And he gives us wisdom and he gives us his patience and he gives us good counsel and he gives us his very life so that we can be blessed by him. He's our dearest friend. Look at Mark chapter six. As we ask the question, what is Jesus really like? Brothers and sisters and friends, he's a man of peace. Jesus is a man of peace. A separate boat incident. Interesting how those keep happening to the apostles. They're out and there's a storm. And this time Jesus is not in the boat. He's up on a mountain praying. But the Bible tells us in Mark 6 that he can see his apostles. And they're in the boat and the boat is rocking violently. And the scripture says that about the fourth watch of the night, the apostles in the boat, they see Jesus walking toward them on the water. And Jesus, as he comes near the boat, says, take heart, be of good cheer, some translations say, it is I, do not be afraid. I love the song, if Jesus goes with me, I'll go anywhere. Wherever I go, if Jesus goes with me, I'll go anywhere. Or anywhere with Jesus, I can safely go. If Jesus is with us, brothers and sisters and friends, he is a man of peace and he can walk on the troubled waters of your life. And even though our lives have troubled waters and there are things that we experience that we'd rather not, even though those things happen, we have a savior who is a man of peace and he brings to us the peace that passes all understanding. 
He is the Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9 verse 6. And He is the one who is our peace that reconciles us to God and to each other, Ephesians 2 verses 12 through 15. He's a man of peace. He didn't come to upset your entire life and to make your entire life worse. He came to bring us peace with God, peace with Him, peace with others. Who is Jesus? He's a man of majesty. Look at Mark chapter 7. What's he really like? There is so much to be gleaned. And really it's interesting that we can take one verse out of each chapter of a book like this and learn so much about who Jesus is and what he's like. And yet still there are so many dozens of other verses in this very same book that'll tell us other things about what he's like. Mark chapter 7 and verse 37. Majesty, that's a word that we use to refer to kings and queens. That's a word that we use to refer to people that are royalty. And the idea of being majestic, it's, a, it's about our actions, it's about our deeds. When we say to a king, your majesty, we're saying, oh king, you're the greatest, you're the best. Everything you do is right and good and wise. You're a majestic king, oh king. Watch this. After Jesus had healed a man who was mute and deaf, they were astonished beyond measure, Mark 7, verse 37. And they said this, he, Jesus, has done all things well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. He's done all things well. I have puzzled and thought about those words over the years. And it's amazing to think about Everything Jesus did was always the exact right thing. Everything he did was the wisest way, the best way. Every word that he spoke was the best word, the wisest word under the circumstances. You can't ever look at Jesus' life and say, well, he shouldn't have made that decision. He shouldn't have made that judgment. And you can't look at anything that he involved himself in and say, you know, he probably should have stayed in Jerusalem instead of going over there. Everything he did was the right thing. He did all things well. He's a man of majesty. I want that person, I want that savior to be my savior, don't you? Because if he sets out to save my soul, if he sets out to bring me forgiveness and to bring me into a relationship with God, he does that well too. There's nobody else that can do that for you. There's nobody else that can do it in the way that he has done it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me, John 14, verse 6. He's done all things well. There's never been anybody as majestic as Jesus. He's a man of majesty. Finally, look at Mark chapter 8. Look at the end of the chapter, verses 36 and 37. He is a man of proper values. Jesus is a man of proper values. You and I are living our lives and we're always making what we call cost-benefit analyses. When somebody says in your family, hey, let's drive and go to a restaurant for lunch, we make a cost-benefit analysis. How much is it gonna cost? How much time is it gonna take? Those kinds of questions. Do I really like the food I'm gonna eat? Or somebody says, let's go on vacation. We make a cost-benefit analysis. Do I like where we're gonna go on vacation? How much do we wanna spend? We're thinking about the cost and the benefit. Jesus does that for us all of us. Here's what he says to you and to me. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his soul? 
For what can a man give in return or in exchange for his soul? Cost-benefit analysis. What he's saying to you and to me, there is nothing more precious than a soul. And the most important thing about you is the fact that you have a soul that's going to live somewhere forever. And his question ought to ring in our ears. What is it going to profit me if I live my life and I achieve some version of success by the world standards and yet lose my soul eternally? What does it help? If you put the world in a balance and a soul on the other side, Jesus says without equivocation, the soul is more valuable than the world itself. That's what this passage teaches. Jesus, the Son of God, is a man of proper values. And he looks at life and he looks at you and he looks at me and he says, your soul is the most important thing you've got. Don't give it up for something cheap. Don't give it up for the things of the world. Don't give it up for the treasures and the possessions and the pleasures and the promises that the world makes. That's not worth the the gift, the exchange. It's just not. The most important thing about you is that you're gonna live somewhere forever and it's not gonna be here. What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? This Jesus that came to this world 2,000 years ago that was born of a virgin, that grew up as a, as a little boy and then into a young man, this Jesus suffered and died for us so that we could see what he's really like and what God really wants from all of us. As you think about the question, what is Jesus really like? And again, this evening, please come back. This evening, we're gonna talk about chapters nine through 16. What is Jesus really like? As you think about that question, Let me just ask you this. Have you put your soul in the hands of Jesus Christ? Have you come to him through faith and repentance and obedience to his will and baptism? Have you done that? Have you put on Christ in the way that the Bible says that we put on Christ? Have you repented and have you been baptized for the remission of your sins, raised to walk in newness of life, Romans 6, verses 3 and 4? Because Jesus came so that you could have that opportunity. And it'll be a sorrowful day if one of us stands before God and has to say, you know, I exchanged my soul for the world. I'm so thankful that God sent Jesus. I'm so thankful that this is the Savior that God chose to send. And I'm so thankful that we have hope and opportunity through Him. If you'd like to take advantage of that, won't you make your need known while together we stand and while we sing.